Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a game is 10 times more exciting when I'm putting my own money on it. Sometimes I have a gut feeling about a matchup, and sometimes I'm just betting on my team because... The Pittsburgh Steelmen. Regardless, whether you've been betting for years or you're ready to play for the first time, my bookie is your best bet this season. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because they sponsor our podcast. And if you're listening, then you at least somewhat like us, and that helps us. But also because it's the best place to place bets. They got all the cool little, like, prop bets or whatever. I'm trying to think this week what they got going on. Uh, nobody, nobody that crazy in the championship weekend but i guess by the time that this comes out you'll be waiting for the super bowl so it'll be how many shots do they give roger goodell on the telecast and how how long will the crowd boo him for over under at five seconds either way if you really want to support your team this season don't just sit on the sidelines get in the game with mybookie.ag and if you join right now my bookie will double your first deposit so use the promo code C-H-A-I-R, CHAIR, to activate the offer. MyBookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Championship weekend, Titans versus the Chiefs, 49ers versus the Packers, and we sit here trying to muster enough interest in one of these games to justify watching them and thus avoiding cleaning out the laundry room for the second time this year. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-Americans Network. It is January 19th, 2020. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios in Washington, D.C., and Janik, Nick, 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 up. Janik. This is Tom. This is Tom coming to you from Sawdust Studios at the Out. This is Tom coming to you from the Sawdust Studios at the Washington D.C. Outpost, and Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. It took me three times to come say that correctly, and you got I'm your son's name that. wrong. What did you, I call you, Janik? <laughs> You're the one who, who named me. <laughs> yeah, well, radio's hard, everybody. I think I was thinking for a second. Uh, unfortunately, we got to do the podcast before the championship games, so we can't really break them down. And what's more boring than hear, hearing two idiots make predictions about games that already happened? But at least we can put ourselves on record. But if we make a little quick prediction, we can at least have our names out there. We got our names on the line, and people can see how wrong we were or how incredibly smart and well thought out we were. So for the Chiefs, I'm saying, and let. If the Chiefs go up 10-0, 14-0, it's game over. The game's done. Because the Titans 
just they're not built to get in shotgun and pass the ball all over the place and come from behind. But if somehow they can get a turnover go their way early in the game or something like that, and they can just batter the living brains out of the Kansas City Chiefs with Earl Campbell, Jim Brown, a.k.a. Derrick Henry, then they can have a game. But I, I think it's going to be hard for them to keep up with the high-flying action of, of Kermit the Frog and the Red Guys. Do or do not. No try. No caveats. Who's going to win this game? Oh, the Chiefs. Okay, Chiefs I'm going with the Titans. It's the only <laughs> underdogish enough team for me to go with with absolutely no information. But Well, they're Derrick American Henry. heroes. Derrick Henry, just yeah. a pile driver. Oh, All right, man. 49ers, and they beat the, Packers. The Patriots the, well, just... They beat the Patriots and, yeah. the, and the Ravens, too. So we just we have to have a They're the darlings but of the playoffs. They're the darlings of Pittsburgh right now, just on account of what they've done for us. But with the 49ers and Packers, I kind of feel the same thing. It's weird because you, you do sort of have Aaron Rodgers versus Jimmy Garoppolo. To me, Jimmy Garoppolo is a good, not great quarterback. He's kind of at the top of that list with the, the Kirk Cousins-type guys who, if you put a really good team around them, they can do some stuff. And I do think he's a little better than Kirk just with his movement and everything. But at the end of the day, the 49ers are better on offense and they're better on defense. And the game is in San Francisco, and apparently it was pretty loud there last week. Apparently they still do have fans left over from the 80s, even though the stadium isn't in town. But... I sort of, I don't think this one's as big of a mismatch, but I I do feel a similar way where a 49ers win seems inevitable unless Jimmy coughs up the ball once or twice early because the biggest weakness for the Packers is their run defense. And the 49ers can run on anybody, not just because of their three running backs, which are good, but because of the Kyle Shanahan scheme, and they even have receivers like Debo Samuel find ways to run the ball, so they attack you all over the place. And uh, But if Jimmy coughs up the ball, which he, he is want to do in big games like this, then Aaron could go supernova. But I, I do think that it's going to be just an all-red Super Bowl. They'll call it the, the bloodbath of 2020 with the Niners playing the Chiefs, even though I'd prefer... Well, whatever. Who cares? I don't prefer anything. I prefer the Steelers are there. So there are a few things to talk about today, surprisingly and mercifully. The Steelers have a new coach. We're going to start with that. But um, also want to mention Donnie Shell making the Hall of Fame, joining Bill Cower, And um, Joe Hayden makes the Pro Bowl. That's sort of right. through the back door. Very hey. un- we'll talk about how satisfying that must make him feel. <laughs> but Whoa. in big news... The whole Randy Feetner comes into even more focus with the addition of a quarterback coach. That's right. Matt Canada, who sounds like he should be the spokesperson for Canada Dry. Hey, I'm Matt Canada, and here's, well, here's a, a it's not quite a soda. It's not alcoholic. It's, it's just that. And that's what Matt Canada is as a QB coach. No, I'm kidding. Obviously, the Steelers uh, didn't hire a quarterback coach when they promoted Randy Feetner for some reason um, from the quarterback coach position. So basically, the guy's primary function is to come in and be a quarterback coach. I think there were one of only like three teams that didn't actually have one, and we saw how well that worked out with Duck and Mason this past year. But Canada had some success at Pitt. He was just recently at University of Maryland. And I here's okay, so here's my overarching thought that this guy, he's getting brought in, yes, to coach the quarterbacks. They need to fill that vacancy. 
Some people, I feel like, have this wishful thinking that he's going to be like a phantom offensive coordinator and they didn't want to fire or demote Randy, but really, that's what this is. I do not think that's what this is. I think the Steelers are just looking to get more ideas in the building, more ideas in the meeting room, similar to what they did last year when they hired Terrell Austin, the former Bengals defensive coordinator, as a defensive uh, assistant coach and secondaries coach, where it looked like over the course of this past season, there was like a democratization of how the defense was run. Apparently, Mike Tomlin called a lot more of the plays than he had in the past. And I sort of think that's what's happening with Matt Canada. Apparently, I just think they're trying to get another voice in the room. And really, the offense, while Randy will still be calling the plays, it's it's going to be different a little bit philosophically from this past year because Ben and the quarterback coach are going to have a little bit of a hand in that. And just for anybody who doesn't know, like quarterback coaches in the NFL, they don't just sit there and help the, the, the third-string quarterback with his footwork all week long. They're talking to the starter, figuring out what he likes, what he doesn't like, and working specifically with him and, and with the backups, but especially with the starter all week long because the offensive coordinator has to deal with the offense as a whole. So I think that it's a good idea. And, and dad, I don't know if we have the receipts here, but we talked about that on the podcast for the past couple of months that I don't think they're going to fire Randy, but I wouldn't be surprised if they brought somebody else in to give them new ideas. Yeah. I, everybody, uh, a lot of people were thinking where Randy was on the, the hot seat. I mean, the Steelers don't cut bait that quickly. Yeah, and there are a million excuses you could give Randy. I mean, you you've been talking week after week about his lack of uh, play call acumen. I wonder. Mm-hmm. I wonder if um, this is Randy retains his position because of Ben or because he's doing a better job than we actually can see from the outside. But I'm just mystified why we went last year without a linebacker coach. Because if you remember, um, Butler. Was also also served not only a defensive coordinator but the linebackers right. coach, right. and Randy was quarterback coach and offensive coordinator. You know what? I was trying to see how much these guys cost. I mean, is is uh, cost actually an impediment to hiring assistant coaches? Assistant I coaches. think they make two to three hundred thousand dollars on a two hundred million. Well, I guess it's a separate budget, but um, seems like a pittance to save. Why wouldn't you have that covered by an assistant coach? Yeah, that is weird. Maybe So to address the first thing you were talking about, about Randy sticking around, I think we've all kind of figured um, a couple things. Number one, they're not going to want to change the offensive coordinator this late in Ben's career. They're putting all the marbles into the center of, ta- of the table for Ben's last few years, as you saw when they traded for Minka. Um, and they also know that Ben likes Feetner. And whether Steelers fans like it or not, the Steelers' offense was very good. The Feetner's first year coordinating. And no, they don't have Antonio Brown anymore, and that was a huge help for that year. But it seems like if Ben is there, um, then they should be able to tread water, uh, hopefully, you know, because I think that they do have a lot of other talent if they can get another game breaker and get the running back situation sort of ironed out. To answer your second question, yeah, it's weird. I think they had the, they're like bottom three in the league in terms of the number of assistant coaches the Steelers have on staff. But maybe. Keith Butler being the linebackers coach does sort of speak to that democratization process of like, hey, you don't have as much to do planning the defense, so you have some more time on your hands with the linebackers. Now, I, that, I think that's even a reach by me because it's like, 
how do you how do you lessen your time as the head? He still is the defensive coordinator and was calling plays. I don't know. I guess I don't know. I'm talking myself into a circle around it, but uh, it does seem like the Steelers now are dissimilar to the way they were when they had Todd Haley and Dick LeBeau as the clear heads of the offense and defensive side of the ball. Well, also to go back to Randy's performance this year, so I'm reading, I'm just looking at his bio on the Steelers.com. Um, where the Steelers led last year in red zone touchdown efficiency in one category, you know, and look what look what's happened to Keith Butler. Oh, first year, yeah. Uh, to, first year, sorry. They but were look last what this to, year. Yeah, you know what? How much? And and this is impossible, I think, to know. How much is it due to the talent on the field losing Ben? You know, bad calls aside. Yeah, of course. And look at Keith Butler. We went we went from he rocketed from the bottom to the top in a year. Well, I think the answer is. The same thing uh, a wise man once said. If you ain't first, you're last. And apparently for the Steelmen, it's literal. If they're not first, <laughs> they're last, baby. But, Couldn't be uh, 15th? Nope. Yep. You can't fifth, sixth? Hell. Can't. First, you're last. No, my point is just and... that, you know, the ta- talent, you know, as you've all also argued time and time again, there's so many factors. Yeah, And we course. can look and see whether Randy is running the ball at second and nine or not, but... You right, know, having having been on the field, having Mink yeah. on the field, all those make a world of difference. Of course, and we've had the discussion so many times, but it keeps popping up on Twitter, so I think we have to keep talking about it. But that also doesn't excuse, the, that doesn't just give the, the coordinator a clean slate of like, oh, well, he had no chance for the team to be good because they didn't have Ben. They had other people. They have a good veteran offensive line, and whether people people out there are trying to say that the offensive line regressed tremendously, they didn't. They didn't. You have to go back and look at look at what you saw in the games and look at how these quarterbacks held on to the ball too long or drifted directly into the rush. There is an art to it. It's amazing that anyone can succeed playing quarterback in the NFL, having to feel the rush and learn how to move up in the pocket and how to manipulate it. But there, you take it for granted when Ben does it or when you watch Brady do it. But you see with Duck and Mason, oh, it, it actually looks pretty difficult. And it's like... You, your Butler example is good because when Feetner had Ben, Antonio, that line, Juju, and Vance and Connor healthy the whole year, it was a good offense. Was it the best offense in the league? No, but it was probably a top 10 offense, I would think. And then Butler, you know, I, I have gotten to the point where it's like you definitely got to give them credit for the defense. But it's like when P. Butch would ask me, you know, resident Jets fan, like, how did the Steelers' defense get good overnight? Because they were bad the year prior, giving up third and 19 to the Saints in a de facto playoff game or whatever it was. And I told him, oh, it, it wasn't overnight. It's because they have 11 first-round picks playing on the defensive side of the ball. And so it sort of is like how many coaches in the NFL – would be able to coach a defense with that much talent. Like I'm, I think a lot of people could, and maybe some people would do worse. Maybe some people would do better, but I think people have to accept that the issues with the coordinator, with the offenses and the defense are a combination of the talent and the coaching, not one or the other. I was just looking at some of your notes about Matt Canada and his tendencies. (laughs) He was looking at one article and it describes him as having a fascination with pre-snap motion. One of the things you've been highlighting. Yeah, we're being, you know, 
uh, sort of broad in general, just talking about the pre-snap motion. But I wanted to look at one thing that a lot of people have been talking about online. Nick Fairbaugh did some some research on that. Alex Cazora did some research on uh, Canada's use uh, of pre-snap motion and, and just times in the past where he has talked about pre-snap motion. And I, um, you know, throughout the course of the year, the way we, we talked about Randy Feetner and said like, hey, listen, he does he has terrible talent when you're talking about the offense having to go through these quarterbacks. Now, keep in mind, Mason Rudolph is not supposed to be terrible talent. He's a third-round draft pick who the Steelers either lied or terrified me by saying they had a first-round grade on him. So he was worse than Duck most of the time, or they're basically evenly bad. So I don't know how much of a pass I can give them on that when there's teams with like the Carolina Panthers who had a better-ranked offense with undrafted rookie free agent third-string quarterback Kyle Allen, and it's like, oh, they had Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, well, the Steelers have a better line and better receivers. Uh, and a better defense, so you get better field position the whole game. And Gardner Minshew, sixth, seventh round pick for the Jaguars, they did. They had a better offense in Jacksonville than the Steelers did, and they definitely don't have the Steelers line of receivers. Um, but when we talk about Randy Feetner, why he's bad on top of the talent not being there, it's because the offense is predictable in, in certain down-and-distance situations. He just had complete aneurysms in the red zone, running quarterback sneaks with quarterback sweeps with duck or a wildcat formation with two guys who have never taken a snap in the wildcat with, I guess it was Deontay and James Conner. And then the other thing is there are certain things that an offensive coordinator can control when you don't have a lot of talent. And that's the use of misdirection, the use of play action where the Steelers are last place and the use of pre-snap motion where the Steelers are close uh, to the bottom. Whereas you look at most of the top offenses in the NFL are using a lot of pre-snap motion for two reasons. Number one, it can decode what the defense is playing before the snap based on how the defense adjusts to your motion. It's a good way for you to realize what the defense is doing. It's a good way for your quarterback to make the read. And then the other thing is it, it doesn't let the defense be super complicated and amorphous because they have to worry about the offense's formation changing, right? And the Steelers have not done that enough in the past year or two. I think they were a little better when Haley was around. But uh, I do like the idea that Canada could bring some of those ideas to the Steelers because that can definitely be helpful. And then especially for somebody like Juju, where when Todd Haley was here, they moved Antonio Brown Everywhere, all over the formation, slot, inside, outside, left, right. And, and it, that's what helps you get the ball to your number one receivers and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a ton on Matt Cannon if you want to read about it. And this is, this is something he will bring. Um, it was interesting when you looked at when he was the uh, offensive coordinator at Pitt. The, uh, and Pitt scored a record number of points per game. I think it was like 42 and ranked mm. eighth in the country. Unfortunately, that same year they ranked 108th in points allowed. So, hence the I think what eight and six record or something that year. Hey, it's he can it's only like a wise he man. can only do right. He can only do one side of the, the ball. He can only do one side of the ball. And it's like a wise man once said, "You gotta you gotta lose yards to gain yards." All right. Who was that? Uh, my friend Andre said it. Oh, when, when so the is he still were, coaching? We're getting uh, massacred by the Browns, uh, literally and metaphorically, in that first game. And try to lighten the mood by saying, hey, you know what they say? Got to lose yards to gain yards. Say, hmm, that doesn't make any sense. 
but I like it. So yet another member of the Steeler class of 74 makes the Hall of Fame, Donnie Shell, Hall of Fame bound. He's in. Well, he deserved it. We, we talked about this the last few weeks. There are voters who have all but admitted that the only reason why there are no other members of the Steel Curtain that have been inducted into the Hall of Fame is because they just, on principle, won't vote for more Steelers from the 70s because there are too many that are in there. And my response to that is, we hate you and you are a douche. Why would you, that doesn't make any sense. The Hall of Fame is for the best players. And especially in the pre-salary cap era, like, yeah, you can just have a monopoly. Imagine if the current Steelers still had Le'Veon Bell, still had, you know, Brown, well, <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying. If the Steelers didn't have to lose any of their guys on offense or defense or the Patriots or any of these other teams that have had great players, like, yeah, sometimes you just acquire a ton of insane talent. And especially with the Steelers, who were far ahead of the rest of the NFL, when they were drafting in the 70s, they were scouting at some of the predominantly black colleges in the USA before that was done uh, wide, widely in the NFL. So the Steelers just, they, they got better talent than the other team. And just because you're tired of seeing the black and gold in their rightful home of Canton post-retirement, that, that, that doesn't make any sense. It's for the best player. So I'm glad that he got in, although it was part of this centennial class, I guess, right? The It's like the, what were there, 15 extra guys this year that they're letting in? Bill Cowher was, pat, was part of it as well? Because so the there were 15 there. guys. So it's interesting. There is a special blue ribbon panel that selected an additional 15 new members. This was called the Centennial Slate. And if you look at the selectors, as they're regally called, Interestingly, Bill Belichick is on there. Uh, everybody knows John Clayton, Washington Post. I, th- I think everybody kind of sees right. him. He's on ESPN a lot. Uh-huh. Um, Dick LeBeau well, and John Madden. That. John Madden, Ozzie Newsom, and I think a bunch of other guys who are writers and so forth. But those are the names you'd recognize. How so many other people of, that are writers? Do you have any, any idea or just an estimate? Five, ten people that are writers? Yeah, more than that. There are 20 guys on there. Yeah, at least 10. Okay, so you and I were talking about this beforehand because Mike Florio on Pro Football Talk has kind of talked about this centennial class, the, uh, what did you call them, the centennial slate. He's kind of talked about it being a little tainted, and I think he has has a point because a lot of these guys, number one, they're not being selected by the regular Hall of Fame committee, right? Like you just said, it's a special panel. But we'll put a bookmark on that. We'll get right back to that, okay? Now, these are a lot of guys who have gone up for Hall of Fame voting through the regular process year by year and have not gotten gotten voted in. So at that point, it's sort of like, well, then how many people are we letting into the Hall of Fame? It seems to me like they've had their chance to get in. And they didn't get in. And, of course, the Hall of Fame misses some people, like we'd say, Donnie Shell, where we have pretty much recorded evidence that it's just a bias why people aren't letting this guy in who dominated so hard for so long. But um, just the fact that you're letting a bunch of guys in who who didn't actually get in the right way, it it is a little weird. It does seem like kind of a a, a promo stunt for the NFL, a promo stunt 
for the Hall of Fame, a promo stunt to get free publicity on Twitter when people argue about these people in and out. But now that you've read off the panel, Dad, I'm kind of like, well, this, this panel's better than the better than the Hall of Fame panel with a bunch of writers who who you know they cover football for a living. They're all very respected writers, right? The people who vote on the Hall of Fame. But I don't respect their football opinion as much as I respect Bill Belichick and Dick LeBeau's. So part of me is almost like, well, this, I don't know. It, it, it seems pretty legitimate. Do you have any thought on them bringing in people? But I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I think, you know, it's some of these, some of these writers are, have been around football long enough, and obviously they pick some things up. But, man, a guy like Belichick, and especially uh, as I'm finishing this biography of Belichick, just these guys, these coaches can do such a deep dive. They know nuances. They can pick out the, the actual cause of an effect rather than trying to guess at what's going on. I, I, I would rely yeah. on them more than I would anybody else, including players. A hundred percent. A lot of players don't. They're just good at playing football. There's, there's plenty of players who totally get it, and they can tell you who's the best players and who's not. And then there's other guys who are just really good at doing what they're doing. Here's my thing. What do you think about this? I don't think writers should be on should be selecting. I, they're the perfect example of people who get sidetracked by storylines which sell the NFL, which is phenomenal, but it doesn't always tell you the story of the best players. And then they get sidetracked by statistics and numbers, which again, like Troy Polamalu said this year for the Hall of Fame, of course, he's not he, he doesn't put too much stock in the Hall of Fame. It's weird to enshrine individual players for a team sport. Well, I don't agree a hundred percent with what he's saying because there clearly are better players than others but he also went on to say it's so dependent on what team you're on because it's like i said tom brady doesn't have six super bowls if he doesn't have good defenses those years right like jerry rice isn't by far the number one receiver in every major category if he doesn't have steve young uh joe montana and bill walsh right i don't think uh, why is the Hall of Fame selection not just strictly coaches? What do you do? You think do you think that they should have anybody besides coaches? These are the guys who can break down the film and look at pe- and like you said, give a why for success, not just a like a f- view from ten thousand feet. Look, it yes, but it depends on how you set the criterion for getting to the Hall of Fame. You and I were talking about this last week. Is it? A you know like a meteoric rise and the best for three years or is it somebody who has a sustained uh, you know statistic has a sustained career is it somebody who's statistically superior that thereby sidelining some guys who are on bad teams I mean it all depends but my preference would be to have a coach who who can identify superior players yeah in light uh, even even accounting for the environment you know you're on Cincinnati or you're on the Forty ers and I can I can um, I can normalize that performance based on the talent around you. Right, which, which is the coach's job. That's why they sign free agents and draft people. That's why you draft Ben Roethlisberger from a Miami of Ohio without him having played against nearly the type of competition that Eli Manning or Phillip Rivers did at North Carolina State in, in Ole Miss. And what you're saying is, like, I, I like that we had that conversation kind of constantly about what is the what are the qualifications? Like, what are we judging Hall of Fame off of? But even with that, if you decide that, okay, maybe it is just about the best players, which I think you and I kind of agree on, but maybe you do want guys that are socially important or like part of the NFL story, 
I still think coaches are better at deciding that. I don't think that there's anything football, when you're judging players and judging their careers, there is not one category that I think a writer is going to be able to judge better than a coach, let alone a legendary coach, except for how good of an interview, interview players give. Well, now that we've come crashing to agreement, I think let's not lose sight of Donnie Shell. I just wanted to let everybody remind everybody his teammates from 1974 who are also in the Hall of Fame. Lynn Swan, first round. Jack Lambert, second round. John Stallworth, fourth round. And center Mike Webster from the fifth round. What is amazing is that Donnie wasn't drafted. And the draft back then was 17 rounds. So he was he was the 10,000th player to make it to be on a team that year. I mean, they had 17 rounds and he wasn't drafted. He came out of South Carolina State. Had to prove himself for a couple of years on special teams and then ended up being the human torpedo. So he has uh, four Super Bowl rings. What is it, 51 interceptions? Uh, it's an NFL record for start for strong safety. So magnificent career. And could you imagine what he was like coming out of South Carolina State? Wait, did he go to South Carolina State? Yeah. That's amazing. Didn't even like, know they had a school. Uh, like Javon Hargrave. And right. last year's Defensive Rookie of the Year, Darius Leonard. So they seem to just get these sort of mid-late round guys every once in a while. South Carolina State, looks so like we, we got to circle the wagon. So you said 51 total interceptions, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, so Troy had 32, and we all know that he's a first ballot. So that's a lot of interceptions. And by the way, people only threw the ball 14 times a game back in that time. Right. And I, I understand there's an argument to be like, yeah, you'd probably make more interceptions if you had – the Jacks and Mean Joe and Elsie Greenwood and everybody, you know, in front of you hurrying the quarterback and making those throws. And there's 100%, uh, you know, that, that's a totally legitimate argument to make. But 51, that is a crap load. What does that rank all time, I wonder? Well, why don't you talk about Joe Hayden while I try to look up? That's teamwork. Yeah. That, that's how we co-host. Well, Joe, Joe Hayden got elected to... Yes, so Joe Hayden, beloved Pittsburgh Steeler, gets elected to the Pro Bowl. You got to feel good for him because as bullcrap as the Pro Bowl is sometimes, you know, people elect, get elected due to a popularity contest. I mean, we've even seen Villanueva get elected to the Pro Bowl, Pouncey this year. Guys who we love, who have played at Pro Bowl levels, obviously Pouncey um, in years past, but who we can admit maybe they're not, you know, one of the two or three best guys at their position at this point, but we'll take it because they're awesome. But then you see other people, you know, whoever it is, quarterbacks and stuff. Pro Bowl is a popularity contest. That's what I'm trying to say. But still at the end of the day, when you get to this Hall of Fame selection committee and when Joe Hayden's up for the Hall of Fame, which I'm not saying he's going to be up for the Hall of Fame, but if for a player like him, there's not going to be a blue ribbon panel on a centennial slate. People are going to look down at your accolades. And the writers... Like you and I said, they don't, they don't correlate in that the Pro Bowl doesn't mean as much. They say, well, look, he made seven Pro Bowls. And they're the same guys who will talk about the Pro Bowl while a player is getting elected and say, it's actually bull crap. It's a popularity contest. We really care about all pros. But then they'll be voting for the Hall of Fame and they'll say, well, the guy made seven Pro Bowls. Or like, oh, Ben's only made two, three Pro Bowls or whatever it is. And there's no asterisk, by the way, for Pro Bowl players who make it as an alternate which we know is it's not real, right? Juju and, and, and uh, 
Connor made it last year. I think they actually deserve to make it on the on the the first time. But we talked about this last year. It's like there were other guys who made it above them. Where I can't definitively say that Juju or Connor should have beat them out. It's just that yeah, they were they're Pro Bowl esque deserving players. Uh, same with Joe Hayden for this year. He had an awesome year. I think it was his best year as a Steeler. I mean, def- five interceptions, all of them pretty nice. Um, so that's good for him. There's not going to be an asterisk. It's just another Pro Bowl for Joe Hayden and, and for a guy who's had a really great career so far, and hopefully it, it continues on for the Steel Man here in the future because, uh, you know, he's getting towards the end of the rope, but you go and you have your best year at 46 or whatever he is right now. He's probably only like 30, right? Uh, yeah, that's, that's encouraging I for the Steelers. Did you ever find the uh, total interceptions leaders? Uh, Where, yeah, he is Johnny tied right? for number 32. The um, all-time interception record wow. is 81 by Paul Krause, and he set that record from 1964 right, right, to 1979. Right. And as you pointed out, they were probably throwing 14 times a season. So he was sucking in everything that went past the line of scrimmage. Interestingly, number three on the all-time list at 71 interceptions, Rod Woodson. Slide down a little bit. Dick yeah, LeBeau was with 62 interceptions. Yep. Starting in 1912 to 1972. I think that, he, yeah, I think that he was, I think he was number one at one point. Like when he retired, I think he was actually first all time. No, he can't be because Paul Krause uh, No, because Paul, he was for a while because um, Dick LeBeau retired in 72. Krause retired in 79. So I'm sure you're right about that. But then, and well, then you have Mel Blunt. What are you going to say? 57 interceptions. So. Steel or a Steeler coach That's as well. That's quite a few as well. That to put in perspective, Joe Hayden, who's had a very good career, he has twenty-seven total. So yeah, you get about fifty. That's that's quite a few. So I think, um, yeah, I wanted to talk about tight ends, but maybe we'll save that for a future episode. Get back into that. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into it. Thaddeus Moss, Randy Moss's son, championship winner with LSU. Yeah, he declared for the draft. It, a lot of people are ranking him as the number one tight end, and some people say he's going later, third, fourth, fifth round or something. But either way, he's a popular choice for the Steelers. You know, there's already some buzz about him. And honestly, sometimes, you know, year after year, sometimes we hear this buzz very early and it ends up happening, like in the case of TJ Watt or whatever it is. But you're right. We'll get into that stuff a little bit later. Uh, but he did declare this week, and so Steelers fans are going to have him. his name circled. So I think that covers sure. the itinerary for today. Hey, hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And 
Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.